to the State of Recruiting's Open Mic. I'm Mike Roach of Orange 247, and each week I'll be sitting down with a friend or colleague from the football recruiting industry. This week's guest is Horns 24-7 publisher Bobby Burton. Bobby is one of the godfathers of the modern recruiting industry, and he talks about how he came to uh, help create rivals 24-7 and some of the best players he's ever seen. So please enjoy this conversation with Horns 24-7's Bobby Burton. And now joining me on this week's episode of Open Mic on the State of Recruiting podcast, it was my uh, original host from the State of Recruiting, and um, you know we had to change things up when when the quarantine went down. But um, he is also the godfather of uh, one of the godfathers of the recruiting industry, publisher of Horns Twenty Four Seven. It is Bobby Burton. Bobby, thanks for joining me. How you doing today, Mike? Oh, it's going, man. Um, you know, it's uh. Just, just trying to make it day in, day out, and, and get this content in. Um, so you and I have talked a million times, and we've talked on this podcast feed about current events, but um, I think, you know, you being a guy who is really at the forefront of this industry, um, that's a really fascinating topic for me. So um, I wanted to jump into all that, but first, you know, when you were – when you were a student at Texas, you know, when you went to Texas, what were your goals? You know, what did you want to, what, what did you grow up wanting to be? What did you uh, study? And, and, you know, where did you, what did you do once you graduated? Yeah, yeah. So when I first entered Texas uh, in uh, the fall of 88, I thought uh, I wanted to go to Wall Street um, and work on Wall Street. That was kind of my thing. Economics, uh, business, that sort of stuff. Uh, ended up uh, working for the football team about a year into that uh, and became a video assistant uh, for a guy by the name of Mike, by, by the name of Mike Arias, who was the head of video for Texas uh, football until I guess two years ago he retired. Um, and so I, I worked for Mike as an undergrad um, and I had always loved sports and while I was working for Mike, I said, you know, screw it. That's what I want to do. So even though I ended up with a, a degree in accounting from Texas, uh, I never even attempted to use my accounting degree. I went straight from uh, uh, undergrad at Texas to I did postgrad work at the University of Houston. Uh, I was working for the football team there in the recruiting department. Um, and uh, that's when uh, a guy called me and said, hey, I'm starting this publication called the National Recruiting Advisor, and someone gave me your name. Uh, is that something you'd be interested in doing? And uh, I said, absolutely. Uh, and so it's it's been, uh, I guess that that was in the fall or, or spring of 93 or 94. So I've been doing this ever since. And, you know, when you – I've heard – I've kind of heard the story of the way – you know, the original rivals formed from um, a coach here in the Metroplex, actually, um, Coach Chris at, at Sam Houston. Now he was at, I guess, probably at Bowie at, at that point, um, you know, described these two guys who wanted to come down and take some pictures of Sherrod Harris for a website and assign some stars. And he told me he never imagined it would grow into what it's grown into. Can you just kind of tell us about, you know, the beginning of, of how rivals formed and how the internet really took hold of, of, of the recruiting industry? Yeah, it's much more, it's much sooner than Sherrod, but that was probably the first time he had had interface uh, with us. But, uh, uh, you know, literally back in the 90s, in the early 90s, or mid, early mid 90s, um, it was primarily newsletter 
and print publication that we would mail out to subscribers on a monthly or bi-monthly basis. Um, and we would supplement that with 900 number information. So if you like the Longhorns, you could call in and get the latest recruiting information on the Longhorns on a, on a daily basis. So that was for the real uh, breakneck fan, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and in around 96 or 97, um, it's a funny story. I was, I was out at my college roommate's. Who's, who was uh, in grad school at the University of Arizona. I was out at his house in the month of February, which I used to take, used to take parts of February and March off. Um, and I'd go see him and go, go do some kind of crazy vacation just to, so I didn't burn out because after February, right, after signing day. And uh, I went to see him and he said, hey, have you seen this thing called the, the internet yet? <laughs> it's like it's like no and i think it was 90 maybe fall of 96 fall of 97 or the spring of 96 or 97 and i got on espn star wave site and i literally was on that thing he he hooked me up on a dial-in modem and i was on that thing from probably eight o'clock that night and he went to bed and i i was staying on his couch you know I stayed up and I was on that thing until three o'clock in the morning <laughs> and I was just mesmerized by it. Just, you know, uh, and so pretty soon being a sports fan, like I was and, and into recruiting, like I was, it wasn't hard to fathom where that thing would go because uh, literally everything, every ounce of information you wanted could potentially be at your fingertips. And I ended up doing some work for AOL. I did some work for the Sporting News, um, uh, ESPN. I started a, a show with Fox Sports Southwest called Inside Recruiting. I did that for seven or eight years. Um, but long story short, the real, real piece was moving the National Recruiting Advisor uh, into a network uh, called rivals.com um, and me and my partner I had become a partner at that time in, in the National Recruiting Advisor we sold our company to uh, uh, rivals.com and rivals.com had raised something insane like 70 million dollars to become a dot-com company but it was really poorly run by a guy named Jim Heckman who's just uh, a mercurial figure in the industry to say the least but it, he ended up getting fired for doing some ungodly stuff and uh, long story short within a year that thing was out of business and but during that year I had come to know a year and a half I'd come to know a guy named Shannon Terry who was living in Brentwood Tennessee and he and his partner Greg Goff had started a company called Alliance Sports and we we weren't great friends or anything but I think we were friendly and I think both of us respected one another and what we had done and how hard we'd worked because we were, we were kind of the small dogs and, and there were some bigger ones out there that had been trying to run things, you know, with more money. And long story short, Shannon and, and Greg had, had run the Alliance Sports successfully. And when Rivals, that initial iteration, went out of business, uh, it became available for sale out of a forced liquidation. And that's when uh, Shannon, uh, got a group of people together 
to purchase the assets of Rivals out of a, out of that forced liquidation. I was lucky to be a partner in Rivals uh, from the outset, and uh, you know did that from 2001 until uh, 2009 when when we we sold it in 2007 to Yahoo. But uh, Shannon and I both stayed about. Uh, we had a non-compete, a three-year non-compete, so we stayed two years, and Shannon stayed two years exactly, and they wouldn't let me go at the same time um, as he left. Um, so he, I stayed two years and three months, and so uh, that's uh, a year later or so we started probably, or we started twenty-four-seven, uh, and been doing that ever since. As a quick aside. Um... You, you mentioned going to Arizona to visit your buddy. Um, I also, as you know, take the post signing day vacation every year just to kind of clear my head and get ready for the next cycle. And this past year, my wife and I went to Flagstaff and you told me, you said you need to drive into Sedona. It's the best drive you'll ever make. And I, you know, you had told me that probably two weeks before we took the vacation. I didn't remember you had told me that until we were coming down through the mountains out of Flagstaff and into Sedona. And I said something to my wife. I said, you know, Bobby told me this is like the most beautiful drive of all time. And when we got to the, the bottom, when we got to Sedona, my wife says, you need to call Bobby and tell him he described it perfectly. No one's ever, no one's ever <laughs> undersold that drive. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, that is a, you know, I, I'm not a big desert fan, <laughs> to be fair. Like I don't, I'm not into, uh, you know, tumbleweed and all that stuff. Uh, but that part of Arizona, Flagstaff, and that's where my my uh, college roommates now a professor at Northern Arizona, um, uh, and uh, so I've been up there a few times um, through the years, and uh, it is a stunningly gorgeous. Uh, picturesque drive that it's just kind of the jaw dropping. I mean, just so dramatic and the different, different uh, flora, fauna, the roadway is dramatic. I mean, it's just uh, running right by a Creek. It's just, uh, it's gorgeous. It reminds me a lot of parts of Colorado that I drove through when I was a kid and uh, Pacific coast highway was gorgeous like that up, up in, up in the Northern California area. So, yeah, but uh, yeah. those are those are great drives. That's one thing uh, when you're doing recruiting, though, uh, like I was in the '90s. Like I, you know, you're on the road now, Mike, quite a bit, or at least you you were before quarantine. And uh, I'll never forget. I put two hundred thousand miles on a Volkswagen uh, back in the '90s. Uh, literally drove it until it died. But <laughs> my places I went were like Monroe, Louisiana, right. and and. <laughs> Vicksburg, Mississippi, and uh, I don't know, Mobile, Alabama. They weren't, right. they weren't these. They weren't the glamour spots. They were not the garden spots, my friend. Man, talking Kansas. <laughs> I, was, I was talking about this with my wife last night. I said, Detroit. I, drove to I was telling her, you know, the way the board is setting up for Texas, this could be the greatest travel year of all time. And it's probably going to get ruined by quarantine, but like literally. Their, their main out-of-state targets are Pasadena, California, Denver, New Orleans, and Miami. Um, I was like, those would all be great trips to take if we weren't dealing with a major pandemic. I said, and next year they'll probably sign 17 or 18 kids from Texas and one or two from Oklahoma and uh, no great travel spots. So 
um, you know, who knows? I, I guess it's just kind of the way it goes in and out. But that's part of the fun of the job. So when you guys got to the point where you sold rivals, was the plan immediately, you know, once the non-competes went into effect, you know, we're going to wait this time out and then we're immediately looking for something else to do? No, uh, not really. I mean, when we first sold it, we had visions of really trying to take on ESPN um, because that was the 800-pound gorilla back then just as they are now, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we thought with Yahoo's reach, we, we might have an opportunity to do that. But really, because of some internal workings at, at Yahoo uh, editorially, they weren't willing to give us that latitude to really go in and, and try to compete against those, those guys. They had other, other ideas uh, for that. Um, ironically, the, and this isn't indicative of, of his leadership, but uh, the guy heading Yahoo Sports at the time is a guy named Jimmy Pitaro. Uh, and Jimmy uh, uh, played football at Cornell, was a guy that I had known uh, prior to the sale a little bit. And he, uh, he is now the head of ESPN. So uh, all of ESPN. So he took John Skipper's place in that role, but it wasn't Jimmy's issue there. It was more of an editorial issue uh, with the guy that, that came, came over from the LA times who uh, felt like he had some, uh, he had to, to be the man and, and didn't really let Shannon or I spread our wings uh, maybe as much as we want. So within a year of that, we realized that um, it probably just wasn't going to be us for long term. And so we started thinking about, okay, what's, what's next. I don't know when exactly we turn the button or turn the switch to say, okay, let's, let's move forward. But it wasn't, uh, it wasn't immediate. We, we actually went into the Yahoo deal thinking, okay, let's try to make this something uh, great. And then we just realized it was, it was, uh, it, it would be like hitting your head up against the wall repeatedly, you know, just not worth it. Once you guys did make the decision, hey, we're going to go start something new, was there anything you learned maybe from your time with Rivals that you kind of learned maybe not what not to do or something you wanted to change that you'd seen in the industry? Oh, God. I mean, you know, I think that there's a billion things that you want to do. I mean, we made a I mean, Shannon and I both, we've talked about it a thousand times. You make mistakes all the time. You just got to learn from them. Um, you know, there's, uh, my dad used to say, uh, only a dumb person doesn't learn from their mistakes. A smart person does learn from their mistakes, but a wise person learns from other people's mistakes. And that's what we tried to do that second time around in a, in a different or third time around, however you want to see it from Shannon's view, but from a what did we do wrong, what can we do differently type scenario. And uh, one of the biggest things we knew uh, going into it from our perspective was that the advertising dollar uh, was going to be exponentially higher uh, going forward than subscription dollars would be, no matter what you did. Um, but to get those advertising dollars, you could not only get them off of, you couldn't be so message board heavy that 
nobody wanted to visit your, your site other than for the database and the message boards. Um, and so we had to do more free content. We came up with a, a message board that is both, it combines free and premium together um, to, to get people going. Uh, we thought that was needed because we weren't sure that we were going to be able to get a, a large amount of people posting on the boards at the outset because we were going to start so many publications or uh, so many sites as opposed to buying sites or, or hiring uh, known people. Uh, to run sites. So there were a lot of things we learned and, and implemented the second go around. Uh, some of the things that Shannon's uh, come up with have, have been revolutionary. I mean, the crystal ball to this day, I think is just hilarious to me. We, I mean, how he came up with that and put it out there is, is awesome. Uh, the composite ranking is something that we talked about for years. It's like, you know, who's to say who's the best. We always used to talk about that, how, you know, one person may know one area of the country better than another and have better rankings in that area compared to another person who have maybe stronger in, a, in another region. And so that's where we came up with the composite. Um, but things like that are, I mean, to this day, um, still being iterated on and, and copied and or attempted to be copied. But things like that are, are things that uh, came to came to pass because that's kind of the vision that, that uh, Shannon um, and to a lesser extent myself and others had at the very outset. Was there, I mean, was it always, were you always of the mind that you were going to be the publisher for the, the Texas site having been a grad or was it, you know, something where it's, Hey, we need somebody, Bobby, will you do it? Was it that type of thing or how, how did that go? Yeah, that's a good question. No. Um, I, I started out with uh I started out in that position, um, uh, but I was also the editor in chief. So I was trying to train some new people how to write, um, to be honest with you. I was trying to help Shannon attract new talent to the network. Um, so while I did the Texas site, I actually had uh, other duties elsewhere um, that, uh, that kind of segmented my time. Um, but um, I, uh, while I am the publisher of the Texas site, um, I, I grew up in the industry being a editor slash, uh, uh, executive, I guess, of, of rivals and, and 24 seven and really cut my teeth as a national recruiting guy, uh, at the very core, uh, and did that for our 10 hard years, uh, early on. You mentioned 10 hard years. Do you ever miss being out of, I mean, you, you keep up with recruiting, I'd say pretty strong. I mean, you and I talk a couple times a week about what's going on, but do you miss like following it as hard as you can day in and day out, like that grind of it? Um, I don't, I, you know, somebody asked me this question last week and I, I miss recruiting the way I used to cover recruiting. Um, it was so involving. I mean, I, I, I don't, necessarily miss some aspects like I don't miss chasing where they're going to school that was never that was never fun like having to call uh, players and, and get them on the phone and try to talk to them to see where they were going to school um, what was fun was seeing them and, and thinking about how good you thought they were vis-a-vis -vis other players uh, talking to them to see if you could get a sense of who they really were as players, 
and as people so that you could kind of project on that. Uh, meeting all our high school coaches and talking to countless college coaches. I mean, I can't tell you how many former assistants that I talked to across the country that are now head coaches in college and pro. I mean, um, you know, and, and, you know, just, it was one of those things that, that I, I do miss that uh, because there was a camaraderie in that. I would see the same guys out on the, the camp circuit. Uh, I would go to, you know, four or five high school games a weekend trying to see the first half of one game and the second half of another at a different stadium. Um, going to high schools from, you know, the bayou of Louisiana to inner city Chicago or, uh, I mean, geez, I mean, I can't even tell you all the places I've been. I've been to Tustin, California, where Deshaun Foster came out of. I mean, just uh, Pahokee, Florida, and uh, Bishop McNamara in Maryland. I mean, just you name it. I've, I've been there, kind of. And that's a, you know, that's a unique experience. And you're getting to experience that in large part right now, Mike. And I think that, that that's something, as you look back on it, you know, what's, what's valuable to you in life or, or is it the experiences or is it the money or what, what, what is it that's, that's valuable to me and, or to you. And, and in my thirties and twenties and thirties, I really loved that experience of, of meeting and seeing and talking to people and seeing the world um, before really me and my wife settled down. So. Yeah, I mean, the money is, I, I mean, I can't complain about the money, but like I, I told my wife, the the value in it is waking up every day and doing a job you love doing and, you know, getting to travel. Um, you know, I my big hangouts are I go to coaches conventions and hang out with coaches who are, a lot of them are, are friends of mine anyway. So it's like, I've always joked with my high school coaching friends that I just wanted to find a job that would allow us to hang out professionally. And, you know, now I have in some ways. So uh, those experiences are definitely, I I can recall last summer going out to that satellite camp in LA and driving the PCH by myself up to uh, Thousand Oaks from, uh, from, from LAX. And I was like, this is just a crazy experience that I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have ever done if not for having to go to this camp. So yeah, definitely the, uh, the experiences are insane. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the state of recruiting. We'll be back with this interview after a brief word from our sponsors. Um, I have made you tell me the uh, the Martellus Bennett uh, story before the Ryan Paraloo, the LSU Hollow story, which you were on site for, which is a, I mean, one of the biggest early recruiting stories I can remember when I started following it. If you want to tell that one, I'd love to hear it. If you've got some other, like, just great recruiting stories you'd love to tell, I'm sure the audience would love to hear them. Oh, there's – I mean, they do, there's a zillion. I mean, I, there's uh, – I mean, with, with Martellus, it was – I was doing a uh, – it was a live shot down in the uh, Fox Studios in uh, Houston uh, after a Rockets game. So Martellus was going to announce his decision um, on Fox, uh, Fox Southwest, after a Rockets game. Um, and so obviously it was coming down to Texas, Texas A&M, and LSU. And I, was, I had also been doing a 
like I mentioned earlier, I've been doing a TV show for Fox Southwest called Inside Southwest Recruiting with Craig Ray, Craig Ray for, I guess, five, six years at that point. And so I'm down there with Martellus on air with a guy named Kevin Eschenfelder. And in the back room before the rocket, it got to be the third or fourth quarter, I guess. And, you know, Martellus tells Mac he's coming, gets on the message boards, looks around, talks to Dan Dennis Francione, tells Dennis Francione he's coming. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, here we go. And long story short, uh, he got up there and, and well, I forgot to mention the Ryan Parallel thing. Ryan was a quarterback out of uh, New Orleans that was committed to Texas. Uh, and he literally had been committed to Texas forever and kept telling Texas that he was committed, but had taken a visit to LSU the prior weekend. And right before, about half hour before Martellus gets up on air, uh, Ryan Parallel, I, I hear Martellus's phone ding and, I go, who's that? And he goes, it's, it's Paraloo. And I go, really? He goes, yeah. I go, what's he say? He goes, he showed me and it, it said LSU holla. Um, and so I knew for that, at that point, any, any thought that no, no matter what Ryan Paraloo was telling people publicly, what was really happening was he was going to LSU. That was first. Second, I knew that Martellus Bennett had already pledged to two different schools and LSU was, was still in there, by the way, there was, a chance he might pick up the phone and commit to less miles at that point too. Um, but uh, when he went on air, he had not really truly made up his mind in my opinion. Uh, but uh, I, I felt like he thought A&M was a better fit for him. Uh, Texas of course got Jermichael Finley in that same class. So it's not like neither team got a good tight end, but uh, and Texas also got, Colt McCoy in that class instead of Paraloo. So, or with, which should have been with Paraloo, but, or would have been with Paraloo, but uh, you get the point. I, yeah. I mean, Bennett goes on air and says Texas A&M and, and I, I've talked to Mac since then. And, you know, he's like, Oh, he called me. And I, I go, well, yeah, I was there. <laughs> I was there. I saw it. He also called Fran. He goes, no, I go, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's, that's uh, Martellus, in my opinion, is, is one of the most interesting kids that, that I covered through those years, actually. It's very, very interesting guy. Um, but there's, I mean, there's, there's just tons of stories like that. I mean, just, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't even know how to say some of them. They're, some of them are so funny. I, one guy that, that uh, this is not in our neck of the woods, but uh he visited, uh, he was committed to Auburn, but he visited, he's a defense back. He committed to Auburn, but he visited Mississippi over the weekend. Um, and he was from Atlanta. And this was back before a lot of people were interviewing kids. So I think it was like 97, 98. And I called him, I go, well, how did the visit to Mississippi State goes? Oh, it was pretty chill or it's pretty good. So I'm like, I go, really? What'd you do? Uh, we played video games and smoke pot. <laughs> I go what he, I go what he goes yeah we didn't really do anything we just stayed in their room play video games and smoke some weed and I'm I'm like uh, his name was Rashad I don't know I, you know, Rashad you know I'm your I'm am I the first reporter that's talked to you and, and you answered and you said that and he goes yeah man yeah I go I got an idea don't tell anybody else that <laughs> 
You can say the part about the video games, but leave that second part out because you don't want to be quoted saying that. Um, yeah. So, so the things like that that people just don't even. I it's 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 a crazy. It reminds me of um, there was a kid I was interviewing last uh, two years ago, and he gave me a quote that said, "I'm not going to say the school, but he said this school in in it's an SEC school. He said this school just has." just has too good of an offer and I stopped the interview and I go don't ever answer a question <laughs> like that again I said I'm gonna be cool with you because you know we're, you and I are good but like don't don't answer that to other people because they're gonna print it it's gonna look bad so kids sometimes we gotta we gotta save them from themselves um I think one of the coolest things about your job is like you you were there for all the people who were the heroes of, of most of our you know early 20s and teenage years so I would love for you later or, you know, after this to talk about some of the best guys you ever saw, but like, do you remember the first time somebody said, Hey, there's this kid at Madison named Vince Young and he's, you know, we think you should take a look at him. Yeah, it was, uh, it was Ray Seals. Um, uh, Ray Seals is the head coach at Madison and I think Vince was a freshman and uh, Madison had been down for a while. I grew up in Houston, by the way, so I would go down to Houston and I literally would go to 30 high schools in, in, in two weeks and just stay with my parents for two weeks, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and go do all the high schools. But Madison had been down talent wise uh, for about seven or eight years um, when I was doing that. And then uh, I guess it was late 90s, maybe mid, mid to late 90s, I went by Madison. Uh, over off of 288, Highway 288 in Houston, and went that back way. And uh, uh, Ray was already on the practice field with his kids. And I I was over there. I think it was a defensive end uh, that I was looking at. I wanted to talk to him about and stuff. Uh, and uh, I went over there, and uh, I was talking to him. He goes, yeah, but Bobby – that's not the one you want to look at. I go, I go, what do you mean? And, and, I, and I was just trying to figure it out because the kid looked pretty good. He was, I think he ended up signing with like Minnesota or something. But um, he, uh, he said, look over there. He goes, that's the Palomino. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> he was like, I like, okay. And, and um, so he just told me about him and, you know, Vince played basketball was just this, all around stud athlete, but that's the first time anybody mentioned his name to me. It was Ray Seals, the head coach at Madison. And I think that was Vince's, uh, the fall of Vince's freshman year before he had actually even suited up for one down for, for Madison. Um, uh, I think the next move, what's funny is, I don't know if you remember this guy named Gerard Cooper, Mm -hmm. um, but he played for Kansas state. And if I'm not mistaken, Right after I saw Vince in that time, that first time, I went from Madison straight to Pearland High School and watched Gerard Cooper play fullback um, in a practice at Pearland and said, hmm, that kid's pretty good. And at the time, his, he was really a minor. Nobody really liked him. He ended up only having offers by the time he's done at Kansas State and, and U of H. And that's when I kind of figured that Kansas State was doing something right in recruiting, whereas other people were missing guys like that way too often 
so I mean, you got to see him. I mean, you saw him then or whatever at the practice. I assume you probably made a note. I need to go see this kid, you know, throughout his early years in high school. I mean, was it was it pretty evident from the first time you saw him that he was going to be a superstar? Oh, he, he so, you know, some people just look different when they play football or any sport, really, right? Um, and he glides. I mean, it's, it's just subtle. Um, and it doesn't uh, – I mean, I guess he's, you know, 40 years old, 35 years old, probably doesn't glide anymore. But my point being is that Vince always looked – always, always looked different. Um, and I, I watched him as a sophomore. I watched him as a junior. I watched him as a senior. I, I think one of the times – and I always go back for, for his development – um, I saw him play uh, multiple times every year, but his junior year, they lost to Katie in the, it had to be state round of 16. And uh, I saw a kid that had grown from a athlete playing quarterback to a quarterback that was fighting for his team against a great high school football team. Katie went on, I think they won the, state championship by like 30 that year um and I was like holy cow this this guy has not just gotten better he's filling out physically he's he's literally becoming a quarterback and and making some tough reads and throws and he's obviously taken what his coaches had given him and and picked a little bit on on Katie successfully and I was like holy cow and that was his junior year, and I saw him a couple times in seven-on-seven. Seven. Madison didn't do much. They did do seven-on-seven, seven, but it wasn't a ton. Uh, but uh, I'll never forget that. And then I saw him his, his senior year. I tried to go see him in the second half of, like, the first or second game of the year. Um, it, like I used to do, I'd go first half, second half, different games. And I showed up at, the, at this – I think it was at Del Mar over in Houston, Del Mar Stadium. And it was the start of the second half. I'd gotten there just in time. Vince was the line them up guy on kickoffs. So he had his hands in the air. Somebody's getting ready to kick it <laughs> off, right? Yeah. And that was the only play that was the only play Vince had of the second half because they were they were already up like forty nine to nothing. And so I, I said, Oh I gotta I gotta see him next week. And so I I literally and it wasn't a bad team. It wasn't like it was they were playing Houston Davis or something. They, it was, it was like a decent team, and I was like, holy cow. And so the next week, it was just like a, di a different human. And uh, from that point forward – oh, and the very next day – that was funny. The very next day, after that next week, I saw Vince. The very next day, I went and saw Reggie McNeil. Um, and Reggie went, I think, one of 14 at, against Aldine Nimitz or Aldine Eisenhower. I can't remember which one. And I was like, look, I mean, there's – there's a dramatic difference between these two at quarterback. One is, is got a, maybe a stronger arm. Like I said, Reggie probably had a stronger arm, but he had problems hitting the broad side of the barn sometimes. And Vince had more of a pea shooter arm, but it was pretty accurate. And uh, so, I, and I didn't think there's any question about who was the better quote unquote athlete um, or more natural athlete. Um, yeah, I think Vince could have played any of three, four sports and been been a professional so um 
you, you've seen a billion players. So if you want to consolidate it down to 10, five, however many, but I mean, who are, who were the best that just dropped your jaw at the high school level? Um, Vince was definitely one. Adrian Peterson was one. Um, Adrian was, saw him in a, a scrimmage against Cleveland high school, his senior year prior to, uh, prior to regular season. So it was literally Palestine went down to Cleveland to play a, a scrimmage on a Friday night. I drove over to Cleveland and uh, he was held to like 50 yards on 10 carries in the first half. He came out um, first play of, uh, of the third quarter in that scrimmage. He came out and took like a, a power play off the guard and I mean, to this day, it is a patented Adrian Peterson move where he takes away his right foot in the hole from a defender and kind of sidesteps him while leaning forward. And so he like he makes he made a guy miss like that and did not miss a freaking step. And he he split those safeties like it was nobody's business. I was like, holy. And he he too was one of those guys that I mean, you looked at him and you're like, boy, did somebody chisel, chisel you from freaking granite. I mean, he was he was just – he looked like he was made to play football. Uh, he was a great one uh, to watch in person from the state of Texas. Miles Garrett, I thought, was terrific, although that's been more recent. Um, and and I, didn't, I only saw him on TV a couple times. Let me, um, let me ask it this way. Was there anybody that you saw who you thought this guy there's is a can't miss and then you just never heard from him again after at college? Hmm. Um I mean I feel like we have it all the time where it, even Yeah, a, I think I think back in my day, you don't have this problem as much now, Mike. Um and I say back in my day. When I was covering recruiting in the 90s, we had a real issue with kids not making their test. Right. Um, I mean, it was common for really good players not to make their test score and to have to go JUCO. I'm like exceedingly common. Um, and probably the best player I remember that had that happen to them was a kid out of Panola Valley, California, named Javon Bell. And when I tell you I thought I had seen Ronnie Lott reincarnate, um, he, he blew up people. I mean, he blew them up. I, I don't know how to – I mean, he literally would just blow them into a different world and, and great hand. And he was a great athlete. He could have played running back at that level. Uh, but he signed with Washington State because he had a grade issue, never made his grades. And then I, I never, ever heard from him ever again. But uh, same high school as Gino Toretta, by the way. Oh. But uh, that was – he was a uh, – he was one of the, the better DBs I ever saw and in, in that I, I never heard from again uh, on the college level at all. We all have misses. Um, was there a guy that you thought there's no way this guy – is going to be any more than just a an average player and then turned into a superstar? Drew, Drew Brees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Drew Brees, I tell you what, and this isn't just me. Um, uh, Texas 
John Makovic was the, was the head coach at the time. And John and Randy Rogers, uh, Randy has done a lot of TV work now. He used to be the recruiting coordinator at Texas. Um, they had a quarterback camp uh, at Texas where they had Drew Brees there. Uh, they had Ed Stansberry from El Paso. And they had three, a, a kid from uh, uh, somewhere out in California, I think Simi Valley area. And then uh, John Dutton, Richard Walton, or not Richard Walton, uh, and then Major was there, Major Applewhite. And Drew Brees was there, but he had a brace on his lower leg while he was working out. Uh, he had, I think, either broken a shin or something like that, or an ankle prior to his senior season. John McAvick and Randy Rogers passed on Drew Brees. Randy Rogers' son was on that team at Westlake, was a really good safety. That, and now he's, a, I think now he's the, uh, either the D-line coach or the special teams coach for uh, the Broncos. But anyways, long story short, uh, yeah, Drew Brees was the one that, uh, that I, I thought he was too small at the time and, you know, didn't know if he could do this or that. And he taught me um, that size doesn't matter uh, as much as anything, uh, you know. And I'll tell you another guy that nobody realizes was real good in high school is LaDainian Tomlinson was a great player. I went up to see him, and his high school coach told me, oh, don't worry about him. He can't, get, he can't make it into school. Wow. And so I literally didn't didn't rank LaDainian Tomlinson very high signs with TCU back when they were just a, a group of five school and uh, ended up, you know, NFL Hall of Fame. He was making – he was a linebacker at five foot nine, and he led the team in tackles as a junior. He was a bad dude. Uh, but, you know, I got told, oh, he can't make it. He can't yeah. make great. So that – those things happen. Yeah, absolutely. I just always think those are fun – you know, to look back on and, and see, you know, what, what did you think then? And obviously things like Breeze, it'll change your mind on the way you look at players moving forward. Um, final question before we get out of here. What have you been doing during quarantine? Did you read any good books, watch any good TV shows, anything like that? Um, I am a voracious reader, Mike. Um, so I read, I read at least a book a week. Um, but uh, so I've been doing that. And, I mean, just, um, I write quite a bit. I, uh, hang out with my kids. I've got, I got, uh, two kids, one's 16, uh, going into her senior year of high school this year. My, my, my son is 14. He's going to be a freshman this year. Uh, so really, you know, me and my wife, we try to hang out with them and, uh, do as much as we can with them and, uh, not, I'm I'm not got a super exciting life or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, just uh, like everybody just trying to get through this. Well, uh, what's the, I mean, what's the best book you read during quarantine? Uh, I, I think it's going to be, it's called a book called freedom. Uh, and I don't remember the author's name, uh, but it's about a, uh, it, it's a, it's about a guy and his, uh, and it's not just a guy, it's more like an ensemble type situation where it's the viewpoint of three different, 
uh, main people as sections of the book. And uh, it's, uh, it's a guy in his four, a guy from his college years all the way up until his retirement years and, and female and their relationship as it progresses uh, through time, which is, I got to, you know, I can understand up to about the fit and, and, and empathize with about till they get about 50, which is, I am, which is what I am today, but it got into the sixties and stuff like that. And, uh, it was, it was a great book though. I, I don't I think Kellerman may have been the last guy's last name. I'd have to look it up. All right. Awesome. Well, Bobby, I appreciate you taking some time to join us and tell some old stories. We may have to do this like once a month or something, get Bobby on to tell an old uh, recruiting story. Uh, uh, don't, don't take me back too far. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, appreciate everything you've, I mean, appreciate everything you've done for me in my career and uh, appreciate everything you do for our, our readers and our listeners. So uh, thanks for coming on and spending some time with us. Yeah, Mike, I would just say this to yourself and, and those people that, uh, that are unaware of it. I mean, I think you are a, uh, uh, a fantastic representative of, uh, of uh, uh, what you're trying to do and what we want to do at 24-7. Um, you're a team player. You work hard. You're diligent. You care about the kids, but you also care about being right and forthright with people. You're not trying to blow smoke. Um, and so uh, I would just, as, a, as a somebody that's been in this business for 30 years now almost, I would, I would tell you that you're doing it the right way right now. And uh, I think the, the world is ahead of you as you go forward. Awesome. Thank you so much for those nice words, Bobby. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll, we'll have you back on some other time. Or maybe once we get back in the office, we'll, we'll resume our regular Wednesday show that we were having. So. Yeah. All right, brother. You be good, man. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of the State of Recruiting's Open Mic. As a reminder, you can find the show on any major podcast platform, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else you can get your podcasts. We would also like to ask that you go to any of those podcast platforms and subscribe, rate, and review our podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.